The views and opinions expressed by the Loft Party Podcast panel participants and guests do not necessarily reflect those of the Good Times of Good People Company, the host, or its sponsors. It's not getting it, getting it. Welcome everybody out there in podcast land. The Good Times of Good People Company proudly presents the Loft Party Podcast, where it is always about good times, good people, and good talk. Now that you've received your invitation, the best way to let us know that you're in attendance is to download the party or become official by joining us on Facebook, subscribing on YouTube, iTunes Podcasts, or Google Play Podcasts. Good. Thanks for joining us. Grab a cocktail, light a cigar, or whatever you like to smoke, share us with your friends, and make yourself at home. I'm your host and moderator, Rio, and let's introduce today's panel. Welcome to the Law Party Podcast. I'm your host, Rio, and today on episode 65, but it's right there on tape, part two. On our last podcast, we were talking about uh, police shootings of unarmed people, and the police always seeming to get away with it. Um, So let's quickly frame the discussion before we get started. Um, So first, um, this is purely talking about things from the side of uh, the police shooting people that we find out were unarmed. And then um, uh, they either don't get, they either don't get indicted or um, they do, and then they're exonerated of all charges, and they wind up going back to jail. This is irrespective. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this right now, um, because because um, what we see uh, more of lately uh, is this happening to um, to minorities in particular, um, black people in particular. But this is not that particular discussion. This is about how is it in America you get caught on tape shooting somebody to death and then nothing happens to you? That's that's the discussion, uh, and, and 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 not kind of all of there may be tie-ins to particular ethnicities or whatever, but. Um, I think this is a, a larger problem than just either police shooting black people or police shooting, uh, you know, Hispanic people. I think this is a this is a systemic issue as far as I can see it. And I want to discuss um, what the panel's thoughts are as far as that's concerned, as uh, training and. Um, how the police forces in different cities have become very militarized. And so before we do all of that, um, before we do all of that, let's introduce today's panel. Of course, uh, my returning champion, Chris O'Connor. Uh, he's the owner of Liquid Nine Entertainment and Investments. Uh, do, we, do we want to talk about Stolen Hour? No, that's okay. Okay, so we'll, we'll, we'll wait on that. Uh, but he also has uh, interest in uh, Regal Whiskey and... Office Works. We have Big Dave Elliott. He is uh, the owner of CNP Construction. We have got Brian Massey, uh, marketing analyst uh, for True Media, and our resident Brain Mass. 
Um, our bartender extraordinaire, uh, Ben Roberts, uh, here at the Pendergast Club, uh, and Jordan Broadberry. Bradbury? Bradbury. Bradbury. There we go. He is in sales. We're just going to leave it like that because that's all he wanted me to say. Uh, the anonymous female will not be a part of, of the uh, podcast today. Um, she's dealing with some family issues right now, so we're going to send out our thoughts and prayers to her. And we had somebody join uh, after we took roll. And your name is Sir? I'm Adrian. Adrian Lewis. Okay, Adrian. And what do you do, Adrian? I'm in management manufacturing. Okay, all right. We won't say what he's managing or manufacturing, but it may be the same thing that Jordan is selling. So, um, we are going to jump in with, uh, before we get into important things, let's get into the important things. And uh, with that, Ben, so what are we drinking? Uh, today we're drinking a smoking berry. It's uh, with uh, Rieger whiskey. Sort of a, a sweeter whiskey, so it pairs really nicely with this with this flavor profile. Uh, Frangelico, which is a hazelnut liqueur, a strawberry, honey, and cayenne cordial, and egg white. And it is delicious mm-hmm. out there in podcast land. Smoking berry. Uh, I wish you could be having one of these with us. Uh, and what we are smoking today, um, we have a very special treat, um, is the Partega uh, Series E number two. For anybody out there in uh, podcast land who knows anything about cigars, really, uh, that is a Cuban cigar, and I will say this, it is probably the largest ring gauge of any of the Cuban partakers, Um, and it is probably one of the best, it's probably the best partega I've ever had, and one of the best cigars I've ever had, and I will say that... uh, uh, if you're ever in a situation where you see a Partega with the distinctive uh, red uh, lay, red band with gold lettering, please pick one up. Do yourself a favor. Can I, can I bring one more up in that same class? Uh, please. Partega's Abano Number 4. A delicious smoke. A delicious yes. smoke. That is right there with that, that, that number three. Uh, also a Cuban cigar. It's yeah. one of the best cigars I've ever had. Absolutely. Okay, so before uh, we go forward, I know there's a couple people at the table who had some RIPs before I get to the one that um, that I had. So I know Dave. Hey, I, I wanted to bring up a couple. Um, James B. Nutter has been running a mortgage company around here for many, many years. James is a staunch Democrat. He, he really got a lot of people into politics in a lot of ways. So he's a very active community, but he also set up a lot of loans to help disadvantaged people and, and, and people of lesser means be able to get a house and maintain it. So, you know, he's done a lot of different things and been definitely a leader in Kansas City. And then the second one being Neil Patterson was the uh, co-founder of Cerner, uh, yeah. who just died from cancer the other day. And uh, another person who made an impact on the community. I mean, he was a major owner of the sporting and brought sporting, which is probably one of the best MLS soccer fan. I'm not a huge soccer fan. I watch a little bit, but you know, he, it is, they sell that thing out every game, and yeah. it's really created a great market for him. And this is kind of where his genius was, along with Cliff Illick, who was his main partner. And Cerner is going to end up employing probably 20,000 people easily, if not 25, 30,000 people in Kansas City and build several campuses. So, you know, a couple, couple of serious 
leaders yes. that were positive results for the cities in two different ways. They were definitely the two political classes in, in either way, but they both had a positive impact. Exactly. Um, and the one that I collected, um, this, this one actually threw me off guard because uh, he was such a young guy. Um, uh, Nelson Ellis, uh, he's best known for playing uh, Lafayette on the uh, HBO show True Blood. Um, he passed away at 39 due to some uh, uh, complications uh, from heart failure. Um, and that, that one really threw me, because like I say, he was such a young guy. And, uh, and I have to admit, uh, out there in podcast land and to the panel uh, at large, uh, True Blood <laughs> was one of my straight-up guilty pleasure TV shows. <laughs> it was... It has no uh, redeeming social value. It is not <laughs> going to expand your intellect in any kind of way. And uh, I don't know if he was in real life, but I had never seen anybody uh, as gay as he played Lafayette on I, that I show. I think that he um, sexually orients more straight in real life, actually. Well, that's what I'm saying. I, didn't, I wasn't sure, because I've seen him in other things, but he was... Like a character actor, yeah. So he would. Um, That's what actors are supposed to do. Yeah, They're supposed yeah, yeah, yeah. They want to play any kind yeah, of part. Yeah. So yeah, but uh, but uh, as kind of femme as he played Lafayette, and he wasn't a little dude. Like he was, he, yeah. he had he had muscles, and he he looked like he could whoop your ass. Uh, even uh, when he had on the Lafayette <laughs> head scarf for Donald Smith, he still looked like he could whoop your ass. Uh, so, it, but like I say, just realizing that uh, he passed away so young, um, that one caught my attention. And so I wanted to send that one, and of course, to our local um, uh, people that passed away, a rest in peace. And with that, we'll be right back. Hey, you can search for the Loft Party Podcast on iTunes Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, and on our Good Times with Good People YouTube channel. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook, tweet us on Twitter, and if you'd like the content we provide, donate to us on Patreon, www.patreon.com forward slash Podcast. You can find all of our links below, and now back to our regularly scheduled program. And we are back, and before we get too deep, let's play a quick party game. So... What website do you use the most and why? So, a uh, few examples. Could be YouTube or Google or Yahoo or Facebook. Or it could be something else. <laughs> uh, and we'll start, uh, start with Jordan. All right. Um, I'd say a website I use the most is probably uh, Grammarly. Uh, it's it's like a, it's like it's like your own personal editor. Ah, okay. If I say at least, um, anytime you type an email, you post something on social networking, anything that you're doing on your laptop, your phone, it's it's synced to that device, and you automatically run it through Grammarly, pick up any any errors that you may have in your writing, uh, punctuation, word choice. Oh wow. Uh, yeah, passive sentences, whatever it may be. Um, it just keeps you on point dramatically. Uh, I use that like 
probably funnel every work email that I ever send. I just put it right through Grammarly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, just put it right back to my email. So it's a lifesaver. Yeah, yeah, it keeps my brand right. It's, one of my pet peeves is when somebody sends me a bad email. Yeah. I just, God, what's, what's going on in this email, man? Um, so, yeah, it's just grammar. That's it. Yeah. yeah, so for everybody out there in podcast land, please check out the Grammarly, uh, the Grammarly site uh, because uh, at least half of the people here at the, at the panel wrote that down. So we can check that out. I got them. Brain Max? Uh, hands down on Reddit. Uh, I, I spent a lot of time on Reddit. Um, for, for those who may not know what Reddit is. So Reddit's like a post board that has, so there's like the general Reddit, which is the full site, and then there's things called subreddits, which are uh, basically categories for people, groups to discuss things. Um, and there's an algorithm that does uh, upvoting and downvoting, so an account can upvote or downvote. Uh, only once, but any topic in the entire site. And so the algorithm pushes the most popular things to the top. But it's also time-bound, so after a while, those top things start going back down. Um, so it's the first thing I check in the morning is I go to all, to all so I look at everything, um, and then hit refresh and see if there's any kind of news, because that will almost always be at the very top um, if something happened. Um, and then outside of that, if you have any kind of interest whatsoever, anything, uh, you can find a subreddit for it. It'll usually have uh, a lot of resources to learn that subject, uh, just to talk to the community, different people that um, uh, help out um, or have a lot of influence with that community. So it's, I mean, it's got about everything in there. Running Mass, I've got a question for you. You really the dude that did the CNN thing with Trump, didn't you? You let the other guy take a fall. You did it, and he took it, and it, it had to be you. You know, why, why would you do that? There, there's a subreddit called Out of the Loop, which <laughs> I, I love using because like if something's going on, I'm like, oh, I have, I have, I have no, no idea. idea. You go to Out of the Loop, and it's almost always at the top, and they explain it. There's a explain like I'm five, yeah, which, okay. which has subjects you can ask questions, and then someone will someone. There's always an expert there. Uh, They'll explain like they're five. Uh, the science subreddit has monitors that says they will tag you as an expert. You have to give them proof. Four seven is pretty much anonymous, but they can prove that you are an expert in a certain field, so you can answer questions legitimately, and people will oh, say, yes. this guy's an expert. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's really cool. And I'll piggyback off Brian, because it's my answer as well. Uh, Reddit is easily what I use the most. Um, so not only can you get a hold of just about any subject matter out there that somebody will have uh, knowledge and expertise, and they'll willingly share all that information with you and it's all anonymous. Uh, there's all kinds of just dumb <laughs> now <laughs> I guess know, random now everybody you want, you want to watch cat videos, watch cat videos. Yeah, uh, like the most yeah. like the most I've seen on Reddit. Um, or I should say people who go to Reddit all the time. Um, you're the first two that I think have actually you kinda of go for intelligent reasons. Yeah. Like everybody that I've known who goes to Reddit all the time. They, they go for the worst, most crass <laughs> memes I've ever seen. Yeah, because they're on in, there. In yeah. my life. Yeah. And uh, that, so. That is true. There are a lot of really bad things on there um, <laughs> because it's all anonymous and they, they try to keep an open, you know, you can make whatever you want subreddits. That means there are also bad things. Yeah, they just try to limit 
obviously like illegal online activity right. uh, and uh, you know rampant hate and just full on bigotry and stuff like that they really try to curb but I mean if it's just people being nasty they don't care what's know? nice like, is you can and what I mean by that it's just just really off the wall stupid crass humor is fine but as long as you're not hurting anybody yeah I mean yeah if it's just crass humor it's you know it's you can filter the things you see you can build your yes. own front page so you're saying I'm only sub to these subreddits so only those will show up in your algorithm oh. so there are some really awesome ways to use it um, <laughs> from what I read it's the rank number six for all internet traffic yeah wow mm -hmm. alright good day well as everybody on this panel that regulars knows that I'm total computer genius. I've got hundreds of websites <laughs> I go to, but mainly I use Google, and I open up Google, and I go to email, and then I read email, and then if it's raining, I go to IntelliCast so I can see where the rain is. That's it. Okay. All right. <laughs> to be brilliant. Hey, I, I look for pointless information on YouTube. Okay. This is basically what I do. <laughs> okay. That's great. Uh, I'm not mad at that. <laughs> I'm not mad at I, that. I do go to YouTube to listen to the Loft Party podcast. Aha. Uh -huh. Well, I'm in my truck. Okay. You take a nice ride, you need to listen to the Loft Party podcast. My right. dad's big day saying it's unstupid. <laughs> Chris? Um, <clears throat> huge fan of Reddit also. I love that one. Huge fan of Grammarly too, and it's saved my life a billion times. Uh, but in fact, I think you have mentioned grammar. Oh, before. I love it, love it, because yeah, uh, it just teaches me how exactly illiterate I really am. <laughs> um, but Amazon, I'm probably like mm -hmm. my entire ecosystem of my life runs through Amazon. So yeah. everything yeah. under the sun. Yeah, I, I love Amazon. Yeah, I, I, as uh, uh, as the anonymous female, and I uh, uh, have been the benefit of. Chris uh, living his life on Amazon because <laughs> we we inherited an echo <laughs> from <Yeah>. that, <laughs> uh, which is actually a really funny story if you don't mind. No, tell so <laughs> uh, when they first come out, the the Amazon Echoes, he wants to he's he's thinking yeah it's going to be an amazing thing to put an echo in every room, you know, but that way no matter where I am, I can ask the echo. Whatever question I want to ask it, have it do whatever it is I want to do. Problem is, uh, you go, Alexa, and, and all of a sudden, half the house <laughs> hears you, and, I'll go, and they're all answering you, and all trying to answer the question at the same time. Mm -hmm. Uh, and he found out that he had to get rid of a few of those, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, which is how we wound up with one of them. <laughs> uh, uh, Actually, that's kind of trippy. You yeah, know? I know. Yeah, it's not gonna work. <laughs> you, get, you get a little buzz on you. You get a little buzz going on some mushrooms or something like that, and put about four or five of them in your house, man, and you could carry on a regular conversation. I did try to ask Alexa what's the meaning of life, and she said exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, all right. Uh, I'll take that as an answer. Kind of scary. I know. It's also kind of scary. Um, we don't want to pit her up on the side of a mountain next to the guru, though. <laughs> uh, so for me, um, 
Uh, I think it, it, I think it's no secret that uh, that that I'm a music guy. So um, the sites that I, I I go to the same sites just about just about every at least weekday, um, and they're all music related blogs um, and and Amazon. <laughs> like so, it's uh, uh, some. Quick shout outs. Uh, there's a, I'm originally from Chicago, so we have one local music blog that's for hip hop that's kind of be, become the national blog go to for Chicago hip hop, which is called Fake Sure Drive. Um, I go to uh, Two Dope Boys, uh, the smoking section, uh, the one called Ill Roots. Uh, there's a few of them that I go to every day, and I just I come into work, I log in, I check all my work email, everything, then I open up all the blogs that I'm going to check over the course of the day, and usually in the morning is when the most stuff is up. Maybe one more time during the day you'll get a real bump with some things that came up, but as the day goes on, I'm closing them down, and there's nothing else that's going to come out that day. Or whatever, uh, and then the other thing that I actually spend quite a bit of time doing, usually pushed there through one of the music blogs, is to YouTube because um, I'll, there'll be interviews with artists or stuff like that that I'll be interested in, um, and or somebody will ask me a question of uh, of you know how do I get to the Law Party Podcast on YouTube and I'll wind up sending them a link. And, so I said uh, I do a lot of stuff on YouTube as well, um, and with all that, I think everybody is enjoying their smoking fruits and their cigars. And we'll be right back. Hey, out there in podcast land, we would not be doing our duty if we didn't acknowledge the sponsors of the Love Party Podcast: the Majestic Restaurant and Jazz Club and the Majestic's Pendergast Club. The Majestic carries on Kansas City's tradition of great food and jazz. Let them show you why they are the classic Kansas City Steakhouse experience. 931 Broadway, just three blocks from the Kansas City Convention Center. Jay Rieger and Company, a Kansas City distillery. Whether whiskey, gin, or vodka, neat or on the rocks, Jay Rieger, Kansas City, sipping good since 1887. C&P Construction, Kansas City's premier wood framers. 50 years of quality framing and craftsmanship. Just email david.cnpservice at gmail.com and start building something new today. And our friend and frequent guest, Lane Boland. Thank you all for all that you do. Time to rejoin the conversation. We're back and here we go with Party Politics. So uh, what we're discussing today is uh, the police um, shooting unarmed people and seeming to get away with it. Um, and of course, this is a conversation of our last podcast, so this is definitely uh, part two. Um, so before we get to um, kind of training issues and the militarization issue, um, uh, I want to go around the table and just get any feedbacks because not everybody was actually 
here during the last show, so I want to give everybody a chance to just give their two cents on the topic at large. Um, Jordan, you were, uh, but please, if you've got uh, two more cents, you are more than welcome to throw them in now. Okay, uh, and that was just in regard to the, the general... Yeah, just in general, it just just your thoughts and feelings, and uh, maybe anything that you've learned in the past couple of weeks um, that uh, we didn't discuss last time about the, about police shootings. Oh, I think we hit all all the hot points um, definitely a couple of weeks ago. Any more? I mean, I, I just I just think that it's a it's a disconnect. Um, I think there's it's, it's a disconnect age-wise, it's a disconnect culturally, um, oftentimes intellectually. So it's it's anything that you don't have a full knowledge of. Um, I, I think there's some there there's there's a there's, there's a tad bit of fear. Yeah. If I'm using the right word there. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I, so I it's just you might be right. Yeah, and that. I think that just innately, innately forces you to act a little bit edgy or uncertain or unsure. Um, so I, I think that, in my opinion, it's, uh, I think some sort of exposure therapy should be done with uh, the, the, the police department in general. Um, I think that if you go spend two or three days, um, or you, you almost like, <clears throat> The foreign exchange student yeah. comes in America, comes to America from wherever they're from, and they live in a home. They adopt the culture. They see what's going on. I think that that would be a nice pilot program, if you would, uh, for officers to, hey, here's a family. It's a good, wholesome family that's somewhere east of Troost or wherever the uh, crime-ridden areas that they say are. Go live with that family for a weekend. Um, just get a pure understanding of day to day, just in their culture and their life, you know how they perceive things, um, their logic, and then go back to work. And I think that uh, a program like that that would allow them to literally just like adopt the culture. I think that that would change um, the outcome drastically. Just to understand. Walking a mile in a man's shoes. Most definitely. Most definitely. Brain mass. I see you, you're, I like you're in deep thought over yeah, there. I, can I see. like that. I like that because I think you know every region has its own kind of it has its own culture. Yeah. Um, and you know, for the right situation, you have to have the right skill set, and that would be how you build that. Just in general, though, I will say one of my concerns overall is um, you know. <laughs> I would say it's probably more and more difficult to attract people to become police officers. Um, and when that happens, uh, you start losing candidates that have the skill set of being a good police officer. Because why would I go do that uh, in such a bad situation? Or they keep getting placed in bad situations, which just spirals down. I mean, now you have. You know, your skill, the average skill set is lower and it just keeps going and it's, it kind of feeds itself until you're in a really tough situation. Um, and I don't know how you reverse something like that. I agree. Okay. I'm almost one here. And I, you know, I want to have a little bit different views and things. But I will start with saying 
And as you all know, I've been beat by the law a couple of times. In Texas, I had, they took a piece of ivory soap, put it in a tube sock, and beat the shit out of my head. You know, so, and then I was actually homeless on the streets of New Orleans at one time in my life. I was a drug addict and I was in a bad way. And so, and you're going to get whacked from billy clubs and what have you. It was as a much of a risk to be shot, certainly not back in the 70s so much, and certainly because I was white. That makes a difference. But the one thing, you know, I went and did my homework, and I and look, there's, there's one there, I looked at News 1, 10 tips for a black man pulled over by police. I think they got to be, I think that's where some of the training needs to be, right or wrong. Live to, live, live to fight your fight another day. If, if you feel like you've been pulled over and done wrongly, then you have a, a system in place to go complain. You have a system in place to, to go do things, and I think that's difficult because I look at a lot of these shootings. Um, I'll take the one, I think it was in South Carolina, and the cops shot the guy in the back. Is the cop wrong? Oh, absolutely. Did he go to jail? Yeah, absolutely. He's going to jail. But the man ran from him. Sit there and comply as best you can. I'll give you a quick example. I got pulled over on I-35 heading south. Um, he turned his lights on about 63rd Street. And there was a line of traffic going up to the ramp on 75th Street. There was construction going underneath the bridge. And so by the time I could, I won't, I won't pull over in the left-hand lane. That's an unsafe place to be. So I waited until I got between the ramps of 69 Highway and 75th Street and I pulled over. And he came up, has gun drawn, picture hands on the wheel. He thought I was running. And so I instantly said, you know, put my hands on the wheel, I had everything there, and I said, I was just trying to get us to a safe place. I said, I don't want to be unsafe myself. I didn't want you to be unsafe. And he came back to me, and if I was black, I might have had a different result. And, and I'm not going to sit here and say that that isn't so. But he came back to me and said, I, his comment was, I was amped up because you didn't pull over. But once again, I said to him, I had to find a safe place for us to pull over. Traffic was bad, we had construction on the bridge and went through my spiel. So I, I, I think, and I'm not black, so I don't know. I, I don't, maybe I don't understand the issue well enough, but I'm gonna be complying as best as I can, even if I felt I've done wrong, or even if I felt I just pulled over for driving while black, which happens. You know, I will, I will say one thing, um, and, and uh, I really wish the anonymous female was here to hear, you, hear what you just said. But I have to say, uh, I commend you for saying just that one little phrase. I'm not black, so I'm, I don't know. No, I don't because that, I think right there is where it starts. You know... Like, everybody here has a very different experience with the world. You know, uh, today, uh, today on the panel, uh, you can't see us out there, but today on the panel, um, it's, uh, it's four white guys, three black guys. And uh, I could probably throw something anecdotal out, and, uh, and Adrian and Jordan would probably know exactly what I'm talking about because we, because the world, we experience the world in a very different way. Um, but um, 
And that is with uh, being sensible, cooler-headed gentlemen who are going to comply as best we can. And we still experience the world in a different way. But the fact that you are even able to make that make that acknowledgement, well, I think that's the that's uh, that, to me that's where it begins. But we were also taught as kids, you run for the cops, he might shoot you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and and here's and here's and here's the difference in a black household. Uh, it's not you run from the cops, you might get shot. It's you might get shot. Yeah. Period. So, a lot of times, guys are like, "Hey, you have to fuck be it, I'm gonna flip this coin because you have to be a lot cooler about how you handle yourself and control your rage." I, I think a lot of African Americans see it as a lose-lose situation. Period. Whether you're caught, whether you run, you know, you have. I think the negative side of it, a lot of African Americans see that they don't have a standing chance, whether it's in court, whether it's on the outside, if they comply. And I think what you're seeing now. Is is an ugly mirror of that from from the perspective of a black male. Um, I was uh, in my, my mid twenties and I went out with some some friends of mine. And I'm I'm from Georgia. I'm a southeast rural country black guy. So what from what part of Georgia? Uh, Douglas, Georgia. How far from uh, Atlanta? Atlanta to about three hours. Okay. Savannah, two hours. Okay, that's country. Country. And I, and I lived in country Louisiana, yeah. Nashville. So. so, so you probably know. I some of the mindset. And I, and I worked. With, I worked with the brothers. You know, right. I understand. I learned a lot coming from <laughs> Northeast Missouri, where I came from. Graduated from high school, basically an all-white town. Yeah. Mm -hmm. To go down south was a, an education, one of the best educations I ever got in my life. Yeah. Can't teach that in school. It's it's. It's a different perspective. Uh, I went out with, with a bunch of white ladies mm -hmm. and a couple of their sisters. We went to a redneck bar. We all we all hung together yeah, down there. Yeah. So uh, one night I'm standing, hanging out, having conversations with my friends. This guy, probably in his late, mid, early 70s, walks up to me with a Yoohoo bottle and just wants to clock me upside my head. So of course I grabbed a bottle from him and I'm not doing anything. I'm standing there minding my business. Probably been there for about an hour but have been harassed by the bouncers ever since I've been in there. So uh, I remember saying distinctly, I don't necessarily feel comfortable going in here, but I'm with you guys, so I'm cool. Well, come to find out, the guy that was trying to hit me in the head was the owner of the bar. Yes. I get thrown out because they thought I was trying to cause some ruckus. I walk to the sheriff and I say, hey man, if he didn't want blacks in here, then I guess maybe he should post a sign or something like that. <laughs> he says, why don't you just go home? So you never feel like you have a voice. You never feel like you have that respect. I, I go and file a complaint the next Monday. This yeah. is that Monday. And the guy that I'm filing a complaint with, oh, yeah, we know him. He's just an old, crazy old man. Go home, get over it. No, you shouldn't have to go home and get over, and get over it. I should be able to press charges, file a complaint, and they should be able to go in and investigate that process. But, but, but you also you literally tried with Sully, correct? Right. And but you then, also understand the way the South and how it was. Absolutely. And I, I, I went to a, one of my boat skippers when I worked on the boats when I first got my jobs down in Louisiana. After I got off the streets, it was a guy named Pepper. And I went to all blackball with Pepper one night. Yeah, I can imagine. Buras, Louisiana, down in yeah. Blackman's Parish, down in the Delta, and so you know, yeah, you know, it's it was a different experience. How right they get laid? Just <laughs> 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 Um, 
Well, we... I guess I'll continue the, the conversation we're having right now, which is about the, I guess, the experience that we get differently when it comes to uh, interacting with police officers. And I didn't really understand the, um, the scope, the vast difference that that really was until, I don't know, like, I don't, know, I don't know when I talked to you about this. It must have been eight months ago or something like that. But yeah, I, I was yeah. having a conversation with a friend of mine named Antoine who I've worked with for a while, and he's one of the chillest guys in the world. He's a black guy, and he, uh, he liked me for, and still, uh, but for, for a long time, we both walked the city. I'm talking just like, you know, midtown, downtown, et cetera. Um, and I've always thought, like, this is like a liberal epicenter of like the state around Kansas and Missouri, right? Like these problems aren't, you know, they're probably still there, but not, not as bad. And I then after having a long conversation with him, I realized how wrong I was. And this is a guy, I walk, I've been, I've been walking the street for like seven, eight years. You know, I didn't drive. I could get anywhere I needed to be by either walking, cycling, or catching a taxi or a bus, right? He's the same way. In those seven or eight years, I never got stopped and questioned by the police once. I asked him how often that happens to him. He said about once in a month. Yeah. What's that tell you right there? Yeah. Well, you grew up in Chillicothe, too. Yeah. Well, I grew up in Kirksville, so right. we grew up in very similar towns. Yep. So And then we had our, our, our cultural awareness grew as we got older and then became right. to be able to see different things. Yeah. So, I mean, whenever you... And, and, <clears throat> You know, he hasn't had any, like, massive issues with it. It's just, like, he gets stopped, questioned, and asked, like, you know, do you know anybody who's doing anything wrong and all this stuff? But, like, a police officer would never come to me and ask me all those questions and ask me what I'm doing walking around. I mean, yeah, well, even Carolyn yeah. got stopped in the river market. Really? In the river market. Yeah. Hey, what, what are you doing here? What are you, where are you going? Wow. Carolyn. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anybody out there in podcast land, uh, Carolyn's... I've been a guest on the show before. Uh, if you ever meet Carolyn, she's probably the sweetest human I've ever met in my life. Beautiful, uh, beautiful woman. And uh, so, and uh, uh, black, black, black girl. Uh, but uh, it, to to think that Carolyn, of all people, would get stopped in the River Market of all places is she, just she just bizarre. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, and and that's just like what just like the kids and the cops in the town. And, and you know, I don't, you know, hopefully there hasn't been a lot of that. But imagine, uh, like, with a worse police department, with a worse culture, with a more innate uh, racial profiling culture, and like said, department, and having these communities have to deal with that kind of thing. And it's shown that that's absolutely the case in certain places in America. And it, unless we pay our police officers more and train them better, and make a, an earnest effort in these uh, departments from the top down to counter that culture, uh, I, don't, I don't foresee anything really changing because it's shown time and time again that these people just get let off the hook over and over and over again. And if they do get caught, it's only at the monetary expense of the taxpayers, so there's no real repercussion for any of their transgressions. And let's say... One second, Dave, I want to get rights. all the way around the table. Like, Go ahead. Mm -hmm. uh, Chris? Yeah, it's a, it's a, and again, I think this is probably just of your average white dude perspective. It's a real mixed bag to me. Uh, it's funny just to always hear 
what do we do different? What do the cops should they be doing different all the time? Like, right. Part of me always wants to look back and go, okay, uh, then police the community yourself. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a mixed bag. So there are neighborhoods that are bad. And it would be nice if at, at a community level, uh, you know, that, that kind of became a community problem. Not just how do cops come into this crappy area and try to fix what is a real crime problem, um, but it's also how does the community reach out to the police and work together in some ways. Uh, and it's got to be a mixed bag. It can't just be one approach or the other, I don't think. Um, but I am also just alarmed at, at what you were saying, that we've completely gotten away from uh, the best the best policing that ever was when people were ended in their own community. Yeah. yeah. And that is a huge problem. And I think it leads to all kinds of misunderstandings and uh, exacerbates cultural problems. Because I think you're right. I think there's a super large fear factor that goes oh, on yeah. in these things. And I also think there's a lot of, you start getting into journal in Russia and people must start making horrific mm -hmm. decisions. Uh, and, and then I think there's a culture of covering up those incredibly bad decisions, yeah. which leads to not having a voice uh, and being like you don't have a voice. And I would completely agree with all that. So I, somewhere in the middle is, is always the right answer. It, it, yeah, very true. The balance. Yeah. The balance, and that's kind of where I was at, is that you know, Kansas City right now, it was in the Kansas City paper the other day, per 100,000 people has more higher murder rate than Chicago right now. Which is pretty scary, and and our community, as far as, as, as the poor black community, is very isolated. I mean, there is a line there. There's a I don't know why you want to call it a wall or whatever. It's, 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 a, it's a hard line. But you, and, and anybody and, that lives here in Kansas City knows that. Well, and the bad thing is the there. bad thing is that most larger urban cities, yeah, yeah there is a line, and uh, and most people know what you know what area what street it a lot of times is the dividing line and here in Kansas City it's so obvious you cross truce and it's another city you know and it, it that's it's, getting uh, better though like well it's better than, I mean I've been I've been in Kansas City now for 12 years and it's definitely a better than it was when I moved here okay uh, uh, as far as uh, development on the other side of truce, but I, I don't think same economic hijacking yeah, of, of yeah. everything. Yeah. All they do is come in, try to redevelop where land is cheap. It raises the property values, which is nice, yeah. but it also pushes people further east to a place that they can right. afford. Exactly, and it just moves the problem. Yeah, I don't think it ever yeah. fixes. It, it doesn't actually fix it, right? Which is where, which is actually where it's going. But I will okay. say this: I, yeah. uh, I I remember when I was. Uh, Oh, I don't know, <clears throat> uh, 18, 19, something like that. Uh, I was in a car, a bunch of friends. We were, um, it was a mixed group of friends too. It was, uh, uh, was three black guys and two white guys. And we were all riding in my, at the time, uh, still it's this car, uh, 78 Monte Carlo. Uh, Love that car. Ooh, that's my old school shit yeah, there, man. Yeah. That's my old school <laughs> shit there. Yeah, I say. So, uh, we're going to, uh, supposed to be going to a house party. Uh, this is in the south suburbs of Chicago. And, uh, you know, we, we're just trying to find the place. 
um, wind up getting pulled over. Uh, you know, cop comes up. You know, uh, you know, you know, license and uh, license registration and you know, all that. Um, you know, I, I try to be polite as possible while I'm driving. Um, I said, um, I need to go in my, you know, glove box for, uh, uh, you know, for registration and all of that. And uh, and I ask uh, my friend Mike, who is, um, uh, I, I tease. Uh, I tease Mike that he's probably the uh, blackest white person I ever met in my life. Uh, he's sitting in the passenger seat, and I said, "Mike, would you go in there and grab my uh, registration out for me?" And, uh, and you know, I keep my hands on the wheel and all of that. And uh, so, hand him the stuff. And uh, so you know, how cops always have the radio at their shoulder. And uh, and he says, and I am, <laughs> I tell this story, and people never <clears throat> believe me, but uh, I, I think you two may believe me because you probably have been in a situation some something similar. Um, <coughs> he says uh, to dispatch, uh, "Yeah, traffic stop. Yeah, I got four niggas on the possible, and, uh, <coughs> and, and and proceeding to give license. Yeah." As if he had said nothing. Standing right outside my window. He hadn't walked away wow. or nothing. He was standing right there. And and I was like, did he? And, like, and I didn't even get the whole thing out of my mouth. <laughs> and Mike, <laughs> Mike, uh, Mike and Marcello, uh, guy rest his soul, who was sitting in the backseat, they're the uh, hotheads out of the crew. And uh, Mike goes, the fuck did he say? <laughs> and and I was like, Mike, shut the fuck up. <laughs> and he was like, oh, hell no. Nah. And I was Mike. Because, once again, Mike might, might act blacker than most black people I've ever met. Uh, he's still a Greek boy. Uh, <laughs> you go get us killed, dog. Shut up. So he does his thing, gives me stuff back. You know, where are you going? Why are you, why are you, why are you here? You know, why are you in the suburb? Uh, trying to explain to him, we're looking for a party, da da da. And, uh, and uh, so, and he eventually just lets us go because, you know, there was, you know, no, you know, uh, tickets or anything, any violations that he could find. So he, you know, he lets us go uh, with a warning because he really didn't pull us over for any other reason. And he saw uh, a group of guys in a car. And, uh, BWB. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. And uh, so, you know, you know, I tell the story, and uh, and you go to Prairie Village, and that'll happen to you here. Hey, and I Greenwood, guess it'll happen to you here. Yeah, and and I guess that's the thing. I've told the story to. Friends over the years, uh, and you, it, it, and I get the same reaction. I get the, uh, I get the uh, kind of knowing smile or laugh from my black friends, and kind of the outraged face from my white friends, because I think that story kind of encapsulates what I mean by just living two different experiences. It's just. Um, and you know, you know, oddly enough, you know, I've, uh, you know, I don't harbor 
you know, any ill will toward cops in general or, you know, toward anybody in general for that matter. But I do recognize that that the rule book is different depending upon who's behind the wheel that day. Which uh, takes me, I guess, to the next topic, which we've kind of loosely touched on, but um, I kind of want to talk about, and I think I may want to add in uh, community issues toward the end, but I want to start with training issues. Um, you know, I've always felt that I didn't have a good answer to train what a what a training issue, what a training regiment would be. But uh, I think you may have had a really good idea, you know, with, uh, with what Jordan was saying about um, maybe having an officer who's going to be policing this area. Maybe he has to live there for a few days, you know, even a week, you know, with the family. So he gets to understand the area that he's in and the kind of mentality of the residents. Um, you know, because whether, we're, we're, we're a mixed panel, uh, white and black, but this could be, you know, Hispanic, this could be uh, a Muslim community, this could be, you know, without you understanding the community that you're policing, you know, how really can you police it? I mean, you know, I remember uh, when I was really young, you know, we had, you know, we had, we had, we didn't just have cops just police car patrol. We, we had cops that actually beat, got beat, out, beat walked cops. that beat, walked that block. You know, they knew, you know, they knew, like, my, my, my grandparents were the Bacons. You know, they knew Mr. and Mrs. Bacon. And in turn, they knew that Mr. and Mrs. Bacon had seven kids. And they knew that of those seven kids, there were grandkids. And so they, they knew this family. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a, hey, you know, what are you doing? Unless we had some strange cop in the neighborhood that, that day which did happen, and, and on those occasions, you know, walking to the store for my grandparents, I'd get, you know, rousted up against the building and patted down, and, you know, well, you know what are you doing? And going by my grandfather's and Philip Boris commanders. <laughs> like, and, uh, uh, but for the most part, it was, uh, you know, you know, it was, you know, you know, hey, Mario, what are you doing, you know? You know, or not even what am I doing as if I didn't have the right to be doing it. Mostly it was, uh, hey, Mario. There's a, yeah, it was, hey, it was, you know, it was like. He was greeting you. Well, one, greeting me, two, um, you know, when I was growing up, that block, you know, one side of the street seemed to be very residential. The other side of the street is where, like, all the drug dealers hung out and, so if you were over on the other side of the street, you'd be like, hey, Mario, what are you over here doing? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to play hide and go seek with Bam. <laughs> and, he, and he knew he knew Bam was a little hooligan, but uh, he didn't have any, you know, he knew he didn't have any right to just roust, you know, us just for, for no reason. And he'd be like, all right, be careful, you know, and, and, and would move on. 
you know. So I think I think until probably until today, I never thought about it in that way. So yeah. Go ahead. Um, I'm a firm believer in the law of attraction and like the energy that one emits and whatever you focus on essentially grows. And then speaking for the young black community, I mean, you can have a, a best friend of yours or a cousin or an uncle. They get hired on as a police officer and you automatically, oh man, you know, do you wear a wire? You're like, I can't oh, even yeah. talk to you. So it's, it's almost like when you were a kid and you had to go to the dentist, like, oh man, the dentist, I'm scared. I don't know. I'm like, mm, you just didn't want to go. Right. But you have an abscess tooth and that's the first place you want to go. You know, and it, it's it's. I think that understanding that somebody breaks in your house, somebody comes in and, and, and snatches your old lady's purse, you coming out of the movies, you're calling a cop. And a lot of the times, those police officers, they're like, "Look, hey, this is my job." But they go home and, and, and say, "Look, half of these people hate me, so many of these people love me," and so there's a disconnect with them. Um, I think that there's a, a bit of unfulfillment there. And I think that kind of causes a, 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 a disconnect as well. So just speaking from the black community standpoint, cops are looked at as, as, as just, you know, especially becoming one because there's been... Um, Do they generalize? I think they generalize. And people have thrown out, like, hey, well, maybe we need more black cops. Well, being a black cop, in the black community is 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 looked down upon. Yeah. You know, and like like really it is it's like a generational thing. It's uh, you know, it's cops can't trust them, whatever, whatever. And so it's that discourages young black kids, young black women that may want to be police officers to go to a police academy. Well I wanna ask I wanna ask you and Adrian in particular, do you feel media <clears throat> tends to Social media and regular media, main, main media, mm -hmm. tends to want to aggravate the situation a little bit. You know, the Ferguson effect. Oh, for sure. Where where they are, you know, they they want to pipe it up because that's ratings for them. I think all this it's all interdependent and symbiotic because it's you. If there's not a problem, there's no one to fix it. There's no politicians. There's no aldermen. There's no whoever it may be to. Cor correct or solve it. So keeping something going, keeping something flowing out there is keeping people's agitated. Keeping people agitated and it's also allowing people to provide for their families because they, now they have a job to do. Um, I mean, there's no way that you can explain why in the middle of an alley in the south side of Chicago, you find a crate with Guns. grenades and assault rifles. And you know, that's to me, that's strategic warfare. You know, mm -hmm. and so you got to ask yourself, who put them there and why? Because now that they're there, okay, well, all right, let's look at it like this. Let's, let's get really granular. Kill someone. Okay, now this funeral home business is popping. Okay, so now you have uh, 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 more business or, or wherever, you know, and it's just, it, 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 it translates. Um, insurance companies or the police have to go to the scene, now they have to get paid overtime, so now somebody has to come out and do that, now the politician has to campaign against crime in the area, and so it's it's always something. So I think right, if you, the prison system. Right, so if you... Kick facts. 
definitely all kickbacks, you know, backroom handshakes, the gravy train, man. So it's like, do we really want to solve the problem? Or do we want to keep just enough of the muckety-muck out there to keep everyone employed and keep everything going? You're hitting on one of my points right there is that I don't feel sometimes that the leadership in the hood is actually sometimes always there for the best. No, not at all. No. And, and I, I build houses. I've always been socially active. I've worked hard on, and Mario knows this, I work hard on a lot of different inner city charities, and I'm very active with it. I believe in positive humanity. I believe in people up, and I believe by doing that, is jobs and economy, and they, they flourish better. They, they're able to move out of their bad areas. Transportation's their biggest problem always be able to get to jobs and be able to get to a good job. But we built houses down there on uh, about 27th and Benton, 27th and Mongol. Mm -hmm. And the brothers, Mongol was a dead end behind me, so the mm -hmm. brothers were doing business behind us. Mm -hmm. And I had a black dude named Tony Childs from Atlanta working with me, and him and I were open carrying on our tool belts right. while we were building the houses. And we didn't have any problem until one day, you know, they all came up and kind of stood in front of us. And, some of the guys were over there with nail guns hiding behind the wall on <laughs> the second floor. And I just patted my belt and I looked at him and I said, you guys have been back to doing your business, I'm here doing my business. There hasn't been a problem. Why is there a problem now? And they were cool with that and went back and did their business and I did my business. But the thing we ran into down there was that the person running the main thing was skimming. They just taking money. And this is what's always happening down there. But anytime there's a government grant or something to do this, they're in there skimming their money off of it. Oh, yes. It wasn't, it wasn't impossible to see. We've had this problem at 18th and Vine in that entertainment district. Mm -hmm. You know, that'd be better run by a management company, but the black community doesn't want to give it up because they're able to take some money out of it. Every time some money's thrown in there, they're able to oh, skim yeah. it out. It's, it's, and it's just, you know, this is not a racist thing to say. It's just, just a reality. And, and this is part of the problem we have here in Kansas City in particular, is that you're not working for the betterment of your community, and that's what bothers me. Every time I've gone and stepped into this right. arena, you're right. you know, and I'm, of course, they see me, I'm the old, old white guy with a white beard, and they, I, I am totally foreign to them. Mm -hmm. And they see me as one thing, you know, they really do. They don't know me, they just see me. So they, they categorize me as this. And to, to kind of piggyback, you said something that's important. I'm going to quote Jay-Z. I don't know if you all have listened to his, his latest uh, 444 album. But he, he has a verse that says, how is Al Sharpton supposed to help me when he's in the mirror taking selfies? And it's like, that, it, it, it was, it's like an entendre. It, it, it spoke to so much. It's like, okay, is Al Sharpton, is he really an advocate for the black community? Or is he... Yeah. Getting that hand out to Sure. And if it continues to be divided, you always have two sides. So if you have, as, there's no way you can solve this problem one side. Oh, yeah. it'll, 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 it'll take, which gets to Chris's point. Right. Like, you right. have to unify in some sort of way. I mean, that's how the civil rights movement actually became. Actually 
gain traction. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. When, when when people of non color got involved, and mm-hmm. then that's when other people started. Mario, doing know, that. Mario knows what I think about Dr. King. I consider Dr. King one of the greatest yeah. human beings ever had in America. Yeah. I, I I list him in the top five. Yeah. You know, he's funny. Man was phenomenal. You know, it's funny. And, and we've gotten away from Dr. King, and uh, and that's one of the things that really bothers me about the black cultures that they have gotten away from what Dr. King believed. Dr. King had a right. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I actually have had, uh, uh, I've actually had black people ask me why I don't have more black people on the show. Um, well, one, uh, I, uh, I ask every intelligent black person that I meet that, hey, I'm doing this thing. You should come through and join in the conversation. And, um, but I never wanted this show to be an all-black panel. Growing up in Chicago, in particular, um, there's a uh, we there's a certain uh, certain way politics get done. Um, they call it the machine. The machine politics is is serious, dirty, bloody business, and it, it, it there's a reason that the last three or four Illinois governors have all gone to prison. What I've found in life is uh, if you're preaching to the choir, you don't save any souls. You know, you have to go and speak to the sinners if you actually want to help anybody. Yeah, get your hands dirty. Yeah, exactly. You have to speak across the table. You have to speak across the aisle. You can't just... Look, if it was just me, Jordan, and Adrian sitting here every week having this conversation, yeah, we would have good, intelligent conversations, but we wouldn't be getting any perspective from anybody else that would maybe help us even uh, better form our own opinion. And there's no growth in that. Exactly. Well, that's been the beauty of the podcast, is that we've gone on this time and time again, is that we can talk about anything in here and we don't get angry at each other. No, no, and that's the beauty. That is the beauty of it. And, and we don't always agree with each other, but we, at the end of the deal, we all handshake and hug it out. And yeah. We love each other. Yeah. We really do. We got a group on this panel that loves each other. Yeah, like, yeah, we really do. We really do. We really care each for other. each other. We, you know, we, every single one of us. We hang out outside of doing this, you know, because we, you know, we actually all, you that's, know, care about each other. And that's know? the secret. That's right there. And I want to say, real quick, uh, Thank you guys for, for joining in and, and, and welcome. You're always welcome. Please come more. You're always welcome at the table. Uh, before, uh, before I go to break, because we've actually had uh, a lot of uh, actual meat to chew on uh, here, and I think there are other things that I would love to get to, but um, we're already over time, so I want to... Uh, I want to stop this section of the podcast. Um, you right. have the anonymous female tapping her watch on you. Uh, no, she, no, no, because no, she, she would. Uh, uh, but uh, but uh, but uh, Brian and Ben and Chris, um, I want to give you an opportunity if there's something that you uh, want to throw in before we end this section. That's pretty good. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's been a really interesting conversation and. Uh, for the for the first time in a long time, I feel like we may have actually come to uh, 
a solution of at least one piece of the problem that could work. Um, I think one thing that might be advantageous is uh, trying to find an actual KC police officer to, to join us for a session. For a part three. Yeah, absolutely. Because, yeah. I mean, that's another perspective that obviously none of us have because we don't do that job. Yeah, no, you're absolutely um, right. You're absolutely right. Uh, I think with that, um, we'll be right back. Hey, you having a good time? Let me introduce you to a couple of my media brothers. First, www.americathemixtape.com. A cipher on American politics, society, and culture. And where'd I get that mixtape? Of course, www.cornerbodega.us. Purveyors of urban culture. Come on, let's get back to the party. Okay, so we are back, and before we get out of here, I want to talk about today's sugar honey iced tea, and those, of course, are things that I or a member of the group have found that are really cool, aka the shit. And uh, uh, something that I've actually been thinking about for a few weeks is um, something we haven't seen in a while, um, uh, fully marketed rap albums. Like, there's been... A thousand rap albums, you know, that come out every year. Uh, a lot of them have tried to drop. It's kind of a surprise. Some of them might do some half-hearted marketing, but um, with the uh, new Two Chains album, uh, "Pretty Girls Like Trap Music," and the uh, new Jay Z album, 444, um, which is his kind of answer album to Beyonce's Lemonade album. Um, we've been seeing, uh, uh, to, to my joy, the resurgence of a true marketing campaign. You know, uh, during the break we were talking about uh, needing to do the work. You can't just um, get on a social media platform and become famous. You have to do the work. Um, and, and that really goes across the board no matter what industry you're in. You have to do the work in order to get good at it, to get to the top of your field. Um, so with the 2 Chains album, um, I'll start with that one. Um, for months, and I mean months, almost six months it seems like, I've been seeing him building the marketing for this album. It started with him just announcing what the name of the album was going to be. It was Pretty Girls Like Travis. Then um, he did a deal with, I want to say, Spotify to do these Pretty Girls Like Trap Music playlists. Um, so he teamed up with a pretty girl and they create a playlist of trap music and they would be dropping these every month um, so, you know, he's done one with a couple of actresses, he's done one with, uh, I know he did one with Amber Rose, he did one with Erica Badu, he did, so, and, and so they weren't all one type of pretty girl either, so, um, and then when he dropped the album, not only did he do what I would say is a standard big rollout, he did a true big rollout, he did a full-sized, full pink trap house 
uh, in Atlanta. And he, he painted the full thing pink. Uh, there was a stove and a car and all this other stuff in the yard, fully painted pink. That's where he did his listening parties. Um, they did um, they did some like charitable drives. They did some free haircuts. They did a beauty salon day, and they also did like a pop up shop, um, all out of this trap house that it, he found in Atlanta and painted pink. And um, as well as a full video rollout, single rollout, just uh, and. Uh, uh, correlating uh, uh, kind of fashion line fashion because it, it, it's really beyond merch when you think of merch you kind of think of just like a concert t-shirt but you know he was doing full he did t-shirts sweatshirts uh, uh, denim motorcycle jackets that were um, black and pink and he just like this full Thing. And like, and I hadn't seen a marketing campaign with that much push in a long time, and it actually made me feel really good that uh, somebody still understands how much work there is to be. You, you know, this is until later in life. How much did we actually know about, uh, like, Michael Jackson? Or how much did we really know about Prince? Or... About James Brown! Yeah, I mean... You know, I'm a but, JB fan. But I guess, and that's what I'm saying. It's, there, there's, a, there's a level of work that goes into being a superstar. And, uh, and it's seeing that somebody actually still cares to do the work um, felt good. And then uh, behind that, um, Jay-Z's 444 album that he just released. I like that. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a different kind of marketing campaign, but it was also a full campaign. He did these full billboards in New York and in other cities. Now before you go to Jay-Z, I got a question. Yeah. Was it pink or was it pop pink? Uh, the two chain stuff was a like a hot pink. That's what I'm saying. It, was it had a, to be a hot. It was a hot pink. Actually. That's what I'm yes. talking about. Yeah. So the, next, uh, the, the thing about Jay Z too, that one, you can tell the level of business acumen and the counsel and just the flow experience that he's had because I like Pete Diddy. Yeah, it's it, I yeah. Like Diddy, I like Diddy, it, and so it's like with Jay Z. He worked a deal that was so complete. Sprint bought over a million. He was platinum before the album even released. So it's like, not to take away from Two Chains, I understand. <coughs> I mean, Two Changes, Two Changes, Jay Z. It's like Jay Z's, okay, I'm going to go work with Sprint. I'm going to get them to buy into my streaming service. I'm going to essentially pay myself twice. And I'm going to go platinum before I even drop. Before I even drop the thing. Yeah, and so it's like, he still worked, he still had. Uh, um, an element of marketing, but I think that the business acumen. Oh, it's it's it's, it's bar none. Yeah, this is what you're talking about. How he never went to the uh, the top of the food chain in the industry. Uh, never went to like Verizon or. Oh yeah, Apple yeah, yeah. So like so that. so yeah. something I discovered about Jay, and and one of the things that has actually made him the business success that he's been is uh, Jay Z always 
business-wise, always partners with the number two player. Sometimes the number three player, depending on how far away from number two they are. Um, and never the number one player because he can prove how much of the needle he moved yeah. for number two. Yeah, I was no. going to say, that. that's something I was thinking about the last time you talked about that. It's like, you know, whenever you're dealing with the number one player, the number one player isn't hungry. Exactly. So you get the number exactly. two, they still have that hunger to be... To be number one. Yeah, right. so, so you're, you're going to get one way you're going to be able to maximize exactly. that. Exactly. So, yeah. um, so, so he's been able to do these incredible deals yeah. over the years. You know, when he bought, you know, when he... Uh, bought, when he bought, well, yeah, when he did Samsung, I mean, that wasn't the number one player. That would have been that would have been Apple. But going with Samsung when he did the Samsung deal was was brilliant because he really could prove how many subscribers he could really bring. He leveraged his value and he made himself quantifiable. And you know what? It's kind of off topic, but I'm upset with Sprint right now. <laughs> 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 you know why? You know why? Because. The national freaking headquarters is in Leewood. Yep. We've got the Sprint Center here, and they released uh, the 444 um, tour checklist today. Yes. And the city was on it yes. earlier today, and they removed it. Did they? They did. And they added in um, South Carolina. Hmm. And so I'm thinking, like, what is that about? I mean, those have to be huge markets for Jay, but you would think. With that, Sprint being But here. you would think that Sprint would say, no, nah, we got to do one. Yeah. I mean, it, because Sprint, uh, Sprint Center is one of the... They have the, nothing to do with the arena. They have nothing to do with really? the naming rights. AEG actually runs it. Really? Yeah. Huh. Oh, and you know what? Now that just made all the sense it in the world sense. because his deal is with Live Nation. Live Nation. Right. So, okay. Live Nation has an enemy... Live Nation KC, right? They're all, they're all tied together, but even beyond that, I think what they're really looking at, most likely, mm -hmm. is the fact that Kanye couldn't even draw 5,000 people to his last concert there. I mean, it was Jesus. empty. They lost a shit ton of money on that. But there was also a snowstorm that day. I will I will caveat that. Because yeah, I remember that day, because I was like, damn, I should have went if I knew. But <laughs> even ticket wise, they didn't sell very many tickets. Yeah, that's true. You yeah. know, they can snow all at once if you sold a ticket. I'm sure if Sprint wants to come, they're more than welcome to become a sponsor. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. If, hey, Sprint, if you're listening. Um, any comments that you'd like to make, I'd be more than happy to have a representative of Sprint here on the podcast. All you have to do is sponsor a couple of things, and I'd be really happy with it. Uh, I do want to talk a little more about uh, 2 chains. Yeah. Um, I guess it's a completely different style than what it was before, right? I remember you were in here playing. It's definitely... Uh, okay, so... Uh, like more, I know Chains like has. Ethereal, you know, like, he's got more. It's, mature, it's definitely it's definitely matured. Um, sonically, he's definitely matured and uh, and has gotten. It's still very much a trap sound, but it's definitely um, more sonically mature. I was gonna say, you said when I think of like trap, I think you know, more abrasion, and this seemed really like mature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. really mature yeah. and smooth. Yeah. I think he's more. And he just definitely still has those songs on the album. Right. But um, the singles that he's leaded leaded with yeah. have definitely been more mature. I think he's playing like like Monday morning quarterback with this album. He's like, look. This is what it was when I was in it, and he can still speak the language. Yes. But now he's talking trap shit from the south of France, you know, and it's yeah. like he he's essentially going back and 
finding that 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 two chains that's somewhere in Atlanta right now. Oh yeah. Fucking getting ready to walk the path, and he's talking to him like, look, man. You know, you can partner with these designer brands. You can travel private. You can yeah, do this. You can do all of that. Yeah, I think well, that's how I do it. Yeah, go ahead. Nah. Yeah, I think that's that's that. That was the whole. That's the whole link with the whole Jay Z thing. Jay Z's forty seven years old. Right. So how can you still rap about being a gangster when everybody knows you're, you're practically right. a billionaire? Right. And you're well, I think that's the. I think that's kind of the beauty of coming from where. Coming from the trap, I mean, because if you think about it, really, Jay, Jay, and Chains both came from the trap, oh, right, sure. and so probably Jay more so than Chains. Yeah, yeah. So coming from where they've come from, uh, and going through the maturation that they are going through, you know, they're finding that we can still speak to where we're from yeah. without having to pretend like we're still there. I think because I, mean, I think other yeah. artists have haven't really yet found a way through. Like per, per, perfect example, uh, and and I still I still really like a ton of Fifties music, mm -hmm. but Fifty still raps as if he's still and you can't take snatching purses and selling yeah. drugs. You're not doing. Look, we know the day you became a multimillionaire. Like the the vitamin water deal went through, and you went on the award show the next day, and you didn't even rap the song. <laughs> he literally walked around this thing on TV, and at the end he said, <laughs> "Vitamin water." <laughs> so we know the day you became that rich. You can't pretend like you're not that rich anymore. And wasn't there like a marketing campaign that tried to paint him off as like he was broke at some point? Uh, yeah, yeah, they tried to try to. But even if, even if like he was bankrupt, even if right. yeah. he was bankrupt, he's not our bankrupt. No, right. he's multi-millionaire bankrupt. That's a different story. Like, oh, 50's broke. No, Fifty still has the number one rated show on the Stars Network. He's right. not broke yeah, one so. <laughs> exactly, executive, not just on it, executive producer of the fourth season. Yeah, so, so we were yeah. talking about it like he was reduced to nothing, and, and, yes. and, and that that was like, and then there were just a few people who were like, "No, guys, like, why are you still rich? Like, right. he's still he's still the boxing promotion company. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's, he's not hurt. But isn't that why he wants people to think? Uh, I, well, th this is, and I think For legal this is, purposes. Yeah, <laughs> but I think this is the, I think yeah, this yeah, is the yeah, difference yeah. between. <laughs> The approach that uh, a two chains OJ is doing is that they're trying to they're trying to enlighten the young hustler. Mm -hmm. Like you're look, I know where you're at, I know where you're coming from. You can get here, sure. and trust me. Uh, in Jay's uh, uh, case, uh, I own an island that that I gifted to my wife. Who, by the way, is Beyonce. Thank you very much. Yeah, <laughs> so, with, with Jay's album, that's why I like it so much. It was short and sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was sort of melodic. It was, he covered so, he covered generational wealth. He covered credit. He covered just brutal honesty and a sort of. Well, and, 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 oh. and I, that, now I will say one thing for, for Jay's album before we, before we wrap up, because okay. we do need to wrap up. Um, the one thing I will say for Jay's album, um, I've, this is the Jay we've never 
really heard before. Right. Um, him, he, we, for the first time, and I will say, for the first time, I think I actually know something about Sean Carter. Right. That, okay. that I never knew before. Like, he really said some personal things. Yeah. He actually, I mean, his first song is called Kill Jay-Z. Yeah. It's, it's a second-person narrative that has Sean Carter talking to Jay-Z and saying, here's all of the fuck-ups you've done in your life. It's time to let Jay-Z die so we can, we can move forward because yeah. you almost, you, you've almost fucked up money, you've almost fucked up your marriage, you know, like all, all, uh, uh, a, a level of honesty. Yeah, and, that mature, I, and maturity. Yeah, that maturity I don't think that... You get a little older, you start seeing things differently. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and so, so that's one of the reasons that I feel like um, I was so happy to see, uh, to see these albums be so good. It's good. And be really marketed well. They, they weren't just kind of surprisingly thrown out there or whatever. Like, no, they, they took the time, they took the energy and the money to really present them properly to the public. And, um, and, and they're masterful work. So, masterful I, work. Yeah, so quick, I have to... One quick, quick thing I want to throw in there, real, is you know how like when an artist dies, then their catalog on iTunes or whatever just spikes? Yeah. With this Jay-Z album, it almost forces you to go back and either buy the blueprint again or listen to his catalog because now you know, well, this is what he was talking about in this. This is what he was... Yeah, what, this is what that meant. And it makes you put it together. That was genius, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're, absolutely. We're depth behind the... Yeah. Either it was genius or we just never gave him the credit for being as intellectual as he really is. Well, I, I think a little of both, yeah. to tell you the truth. I think a little yeah. of both. I think that... I think most people understand... Well... Take that back. I think a lot of serious rap fans and a lot of serious uh, liter literature fans understand the double entendre. Yeah. Uh, but Jay often wrote in triple entendre, mm -hmm. and uh, and that takes a level of intellect that is that is far above your average listener, yeah, and I think. With him getting this personal, it it makes the average listener be able to to go back and go, oh, that's what that meant, you know, four or five albums ago, right. you know, and you know that was a there's a point on in the project where he's talking about it, my favorite line of the album, um, uh. And I really do have to have to cut us off. But, but my favorite line of the album before we get out of here, um, he says, uh, "You know, you know, you know. I bought bought this painting for a million bucks, and the next year is worth two million. The next year it was worth eight million. I can't wait to give this to my children." He says, "And um, you know, I talk about art. And, you know, and people." say it's bougie, I think it's fine, but I'm trying to give you a million dollars worth of game for $9.99. And I was like, ah! 
That was one of them lines I just had to go, God damn. Does it come in close caption for old deaf carpenters like me? <laughs> We're going to look into that. Okay. <laughs> Genius lyrics. You can just oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, with that, uh, I'm going to have to end this podcast in a way I end all podcasts. And that is to good times with good people.